the digital delight of jazz and what's more on WFDU HD2, TNAC. Every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. Ring with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as the rolling sea. Sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun. Let us march on till victory is won. What's going on? What's going on, good folk? It is Wednesday, your weekly dose of blues, music, heritage, culture, and tradition. If it got to do with the blues, this is where you're going to find it. Today, as you know, our first hour is the interview portion of the show. The talking about the blues portion of Jack Dapper Blues on WFDU HD2. And I have a legend as a special guest today. When I say legend, I really mean legend. 50 years in the business, maybe a little more in counting, still going hard. Known as the king of the Chitlin circuit. Matter of fact... He has a coin phrase, too fat to eat and too lean to throw away. Boy, I love that phrase because it sounds like she just right. Mr. Bobby Rush, how are you, sir? Man, I'm just fine as Dan and if get in the bed, I don't know what I do. How you doing, brother? Man, I, I am honored right now. I'm honored. I'm tripping. I'm getting to speak to a, a living legend, the thread of the real blues from the real places started and from the place where it became electrified. So I'm feeling great. <laughs> Thank you very much. Let me tell you, and the people out there may not know, that my name is Bobby Rush. I'm from a little place called Homer, Hainesville, Louisiana. I left in 1947, moved to Pine Bluff, Arkansas with my father, who was a pastor of a church preacher. In 1951, I moved to Chicago. Now, I lived there for uh, 48 and a half years and started recording at Kiss Recording Company in 1951. From that time to now, I've been recording over 60 years. I have 374 records. Oh, my goodness. And I've been here for a long time. And I, I didn't realize until about, until B.B. King passed and that someone said, well, Bobby Rich, look like you're going to be the one to take over now. I said, no, I can't take a look. I can't feel the shoes that B.B. King, some of the other guys uh, in the same business I am. But when I looked around, I'm about six months older than Jane Brown. Mm. I'm older than Ray Charles. Mm. A little bit older than Little Richard. I think uh, Chuck Berry and Fess Dumbo, the only two that live in this older than I am, but they're not in blues, they're in rock and roll, whatever. Mm. And you look around, uh, it looks like I'm the one of the, if not the oldest, I'm the ugliest. <laughs> <laughs> the blues thing around, around now. I think next to me would be Buddy Guy. Wow. Wow. That's serious. That's serious. And to be, oh, it, it, because... 
the reality of the situation is you're not just the blues for 60 years, but you've been performing on that level for, for up until this point. I recently saw the documentary with Martin Scorsese when he followed you on, on your tour bus with Dexter Allen. I was like, wow, this guy, you're still doing that. Well, I'm still doing it, man. I, it's, it's no doing of my own. It's just a blessing of God to give me the strength and the know-how and, and the time to be here long enough to do what I'm doing, you know? I dig it. So, you know, before we get deep into the the legacy, let's talk about your latest album, Pork Pine Meat, which, because, I mean, I dig it. I dig it. And I like the name. Let's talk about that. What what, what inspired that and the name? Let me, let me tell you what, how that come about. I was talking about a situation, what I've been into before, and I talk about something that someone else may have been into. It's like being in love with a woman. You know she don't mean you no good, but you like what she do to you behind closed doors. So you don't want to leave uh, her because you're afraid she finds somebody else like a DJ. <laughs> <laughs> I won't call in a name for that, but you know where I'm coming from. I know where you're coming from. But, uh, you know, I'm damned if I do and damned if I don't. And that's what you call porcupine meat. Too fat to eat and too lean to throw away. Mm, 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 boy. <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. We're going to, matter of fact, I see you have a lot of special guests in the blues com uh, community and industry that's on it. I, the first, the next hour of the show when it's strictly music, I'm going to start off with your tune with Keb Mo. How did that come about? Oh, because we are, first of all, we're good friends. But I tell you, I got the Jordan Marbonamato with me. And, and the only, all the guys who's on there with me, I thought in my heart that I was going to have to twist an arm or, and pay some big money for guys to do favors for me like this. But everybody I call, man, you can't give me any money, man. Bobby Rush is my fan. I love what Bobby Rush do. I was knocked off my feet how they were willing to do this for me. And mm. uh, my music, uh, what I do. And it wasn't about money issues. It was about the friendship or the love they had for me and my music. So I was just knocked off my feet. Never thought that I would have these kind of a caliber of players that want to play with me and it's not about the money. Mm. Uh, I mean, they, they recognize that you're a living legend, brother. That's the only, that's all it is. And if they don't, they need to know. It was a great album. I could tell you that. You know, I, I, Do you have any videos for it? Any music videos? Well, yeah, we have a video uh, uh, on, on uh, Porcupine Me, on that one song, we have a video. We're contemplating that now, uh, uh, doing something else on another song. We don't know what it's going to be. Whatever sticks out with DJs around the country, we're probably going to come with another video on that particular song. One thing about this uh, CD, you know, you we're always blessed to have a CD it's in, in that you have more than one cut on the album. But sometimes a CD you do, you don't have a one tune on it, you get concentrated play. But on this particular song, uh, this particular CD, you got several things just as good as good. And you don't get any concentrated play on anything. But it's always good to have more than one thing on those CDs. That means uh, you got a better CD. Sometimes that don't mean it's airplay. Right. CD, people just buy it because it's, it's good, you know? Right. They can listen to it from one to however many cuts you have. And, you know, I'm happy that you mentioned CDs and CD sales because you come out of the analog and vinyl era. How was that transition? Man, that, well, then now you now you got a lot of uh, thief. When I said thief, 
a lot of people downloading you and hold a bit, but I come out there where it was seven or eight into thirty-three and the third, then from the eight tracks to the uh, cassettes. Mm. Uh, man, I come from man, and now to the DVD. Now they're going some other place with it, you know, and they download us every place across the country. So you can't make any money in a record sale because everybody downloading it. But nevertheless, as my grandfather used to say. If anything ain't worth stealing, ain't worth having. Mm, I dig it. <laughs> so, uh, so at least they want to have me in the house, you know. No, yes, that's right. That's right. You're definitely a fixture in the household and a popular name. Let, now, let's let's get to your early beginnings, if you don't mind, because this is very important on several several levels. The history of the music, mm-hmm. as well as the the, the legacy that. You didn't even leave. You're continuing on. Do you remember, first and foremost, when you said, you know what, especially coming from a a, a church household, that you said, I have to play the blues? Yeah, I can remember. I was about seven or eight years old. Mm. Uh, I was about seven or eight years old, and uh, Louis Jordan come to me and say, hey, you're going to be good one day. I was playing the harmonica around, and joking around with my guitar, playing a one-string guitar on the wall. He said, man, you're going to grow up, you're going you're gonna to be a famous, you're going to make a whole lot of money. I didn't understand making a whole lot of money because whatever I was doing, I would have did it free because I was doing it for the love of the music. Right. But I wasn't thinking about the money issue, enough, you know. You know, I wasn't thinking about that at all. I dig it. You know? but, uh, but I'm so glad people around, like uh, the Fast Domino, Louis Jordan, Chuck Berry, all these guys who taking a liking to me early in my my young life and kind of mold me and shape me to where I am now. Thank God for these kind of guys you know, who believed in me, who have uh, never gave up on me, and uh, and I believe I'm probably one of the few guys who worked and recorded back in 1951 for Chess and maintained my master. Wow, you know that's humongous. That was unheard of back then. Unheard of like that, you know. I guess maybe they thought that this little guy, he's not going to ever amount to anything anyway. He's not going to be around. So let him have his master. Maybe that. Maybe they thought like that, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what, what. I didn't know it was bagger. I didn't know any bagger. I wasn't trying to be smart. Didn't think I was that smart. I wasn't that smart. God just uh, put his arms around me, embraced me, and took care of me. And and uh, now I'm, I probably own more masters. Uh, I just as many masters as anybody around the country. Wow, that's humongous. That's history. I, I have to get an applaud button because that deserves an applaud. <laughs> and I tell young people that music is just one one peak of, but the business side of music is what everybody should be leaning to because if you take care of the business side, it'll take care of you. Mm. I hear that. I hear that. You know, I, I, but before we get into the business of music, you mentioned something that stood out to me. Well, several things, but this particular thing goes back to the history and culture of of the blues. You mentioned playing a one string guitar on the wall. Now I know um, Robert Johnson did that, and I believe Lightning Hopkins and a couple of others. Could you explain what that guitar is and why did you play it that way? What they call it later on the years when I played it was my one string guitar. But later on, they give it a name called Diddley Bow. Mm. When I made the doggone thing, I didn't call it no Diddley Bow. I called it my one-string guitar. 
I took a broom wire off a broom that you squeak the floor with, and you take the old wire off of it after it wore out, mm-hmm. you, and you make your guitar. I made wow. guitar when I was seven years old, or could have been less, and I put a brick at the top and a ball at the bottom. Mm. I was playing that thing, and I got pretty good with it, so one day the brick fell off and hit me in the head, and uh, and I then I got smart enough to re- reverse it and put the ball at the top, brick at the bottom. Cat <laughs> so, like Elmo James come along and say, hey, where that boy get that sound from? So he to start to wind his guitar down like like my one string. Elmo James? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And they made some, you know, uh, Bart Gilmore, the guys like that, start to hear what I was doing with that. They start to wind on their guitar down from a full forty standpoint down to a D tuning to sound like the little boy with the guitar outside the wall. You know, I was, I was making a dent. They didn't know it. Wow. I hope you guys are taking notes. So now let's fast forward a bit to when you moved to Chicago. And this was in 51. 1951. Mm-hmm. What what um, what inspired that move? What made you say, okay, now it's time to go to Chicago? John Lee Hooker and Muddy Waters and B.P. King. I met uh, John Lee Hooker in Memphis, Tennessee in 1949 or 50. And I, I was going back and forth with, uh, to Memphis where B.B. King and Bobby Bland was in Memphis playing on Bill Street. I was playing for whatever I could make with tips. Right. Uh, then a guy hired me to work there, and he was paying me $12 a, w- $12 a month. Mm. I was making $12 a month, $3 a week. Mm. I, you know, I'm making my tips. So, you know, sometimes I make 4 or $5 a week making tips, and I got enough money to get to Chicago, and I met, uh, went to Rolling Park, Mississippi, which is not far from Memphis, Tennessee, and I met uh, Muddy Waters' a brother, who introduced me to him? He's a preacher. Mm. Introduced me to to, to Mother Waters, and from that uh, he introduced me to BB King, and and then I started to fast Domino, who I was from my hometown. I didn't know him that well. Then he introduced me to Louis Jordan, and all these guys come by because somebody introduced me to someone, and then I heard about Little Walter from Louisiana, so I got a chance to meet him in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, and he invited me to Chicago. When I got to Chicago, you know, he took me by chess records. At that time, Little Walter was there, Muddy Waters was there, Willie Dixon was there. In 1952, uh, Chuck Berry came, but he didn't stay. John Lee Hooker came, but he didn't stay. Smoker Hall came, he stayed. Then Bo Diddley came in 53, and Jimmy Reed, but Jimmy Reed, uh, Jimmy Reed, him and his sister had a, a record company called CJ Records. I didn't know that. In 1952 or 53, she got married to Jimmy out of Gary and Anna. Then they named it BJ Records, Jimmy and Barry. Wow. And that's how that came back because during that time, Chess wasn't cutting too much at Chess. They were done a lot of things at Sun Records in Memphis, Tennessee, and shipping it to Chef. Oh. First stuff I could have signed record, uh, and but but it was shipped to to uh, to uh, Leonard and Field to overdub or look at or to recut it, and Willa Dixon was there to to oversee all of this stuff and Bo Diddley and the people like that, you know. 
and uh, that's the way it was. King Records were there with Sonny Thompson. Then, wow. then later on, then Jane Brown came there and made a deal, and, and his offers were there in uh, Chicago, but he was cutting his system at Ohio. Right. And living in Georgia. Wow. And I said it because I'm a few months older than Jane Brown, and I'm, I'm, but he got to he got to the to the hit record before I did, but uh, but I'm the oldest of, of all these most most of these guys, you know. So let me ask you a question: Do you think, based on being there and and the older musicians that were giving you, um, I think you did answer this, but I'm going to ask anyway, so you can elaborate. The, the older musicians that you met as as a younger man, and then now you're here at this stage, and you're at chest, and you're working with these guys and performing. Do you think all this helped to mold for the fact that you were able to maintain at a high level in this industry for over 60 years? Oh, yeah, definitely. But I didn't know it at the time. I took it for granted. I didn't know at the time. I remember Muddy Waters when he was 31 years old. 31 years old, invited me to his 31-year birthday party. So I'm just a young man, and, and I forgot to go to his birthday party after he invited me. So when I got to his birthday party, the bar party was over, but he was upstairs over Civio's club with about 12 or 15 ladies with him. Mm. Invited me upstairs, and I sneaked off and left him because the girls he had was too old. They was like 22, 28 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Eleven. I said, I ain't got with the old girl, you know. <laughs> then I see, he was twenty nine years old. I I left out the building. You did. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you how foolish I was, man. I left the building. Twenty nine years old. How about that? Wow, I dig it. Now I thought that was old, you know. No, I dig it. No, I'm I'm clear. I, I would like to ask you, how was it? Because back then there was this big. Uh, Blues is a devil music, and and the church is anti-blues. So coming from a background where your father was a pastor, how how did that work when he, as you you growing up being in blues? I know where you're coming from with that. Most of the time, most of the guys in my age bracket come from a uh, from a background where religion preaches better that you got a preacher for your father tell you blues music was a devil music because that's what was all around me. But my daddy never told me that. Mm. I was seven or eight years old. Uh, my daddy, uh, my cousin gave me a guitar. I didn't know my daddy didn't know I had it because I was afraid to let my door, let my daddy know I had it because I thought he wanted me to play the gospel. Mm. My dad, daddy never told me to sing the blues, but he never told me not to sing the blues. So that was a green light for me. Mm. I remember the first song I learned, my daddy taught it to me. Wow. When uh, he said, let me sing your song to you, boy. I used to sing to a little girl when I was a little older than you. <laughs> song because I knew it was going to be about my mother. But it, I either glory, glory, hallelujah, when I lay my burden down. I wanted a gospel song. But it wasn't either one of them. He started to sing this song. He said, me and my gal went to check it in, honey. She fell down and I saw something. <laughs> he said that and he was a preacher. Man, I said, wow, daddy. I said, sing it I wanted him to do sing the other verse. Right. The verse going to explain what he saw. He said, my, uh, he, he said again to, he said, me and my girl went to check it in, honey. She fell down and I saw something. <laughs> I said, me don't sing that kind of song to that boy. 
I don't know what he saw in the whole bit, but I'd imagine in Mallon Hard. But that's when my songwriting started. Mm, okay. And he always uh, sung things and done things with double meaning. So everything I have, I have a double meaning. I said that to you because someone asked me just the other day, probably once you ever hear in the porcupine, I wasn't talking about porcupine meat at all. I was, as an example, I was putting an example, singing my song with an example. This just like porcupine meat. Too fat to eat, too lean to throw away. In other words, this girl don't mean me no good, but she too good. She do too many good things to me for me to leave her alone. You follow me? I follow. <laughs> I definitely follow. But <laughs> <laughs> so, so I and everything like that. And I did the same thing in, in 1968 when I did Chicken Head, my first gold record. Yeah, let's talk. I wanted to get into that because that term has been thrown around for a long time and it's it's popular within the last few years. But you, you spearheaded this movement. And I, I, let's give the audience an understanding of what you were talking about. Well, you know, but when I went, first went to uh, uh, Kevin Carter, he had a, a friend of him who was putting money behind the company. He was a Jehovah's Witness preacher. Mm. And the, uh, the, tune, the tune was named Chickenhead. It was named Chickhead. He said to me, oh, boy, you can't cut no record like that, put Chickhead on the record. So I said, I'm talking about Chickenhead. Oh, yeah, you're from down south. Y'all eat Chickenhead and Chicken Feet down south. I said, yeah. <laughs> so the, hey, he said, he said, boy, come here and sing that song to me. I went to him, picked my guitar up, and I said, Daddy told me on the dying bed, Give up your heart, but don't you lose your head. You came along, girl, what did I do? Lost my heart and my head went too, which had nothing to do with a chicken. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I said, well, I got me. He said, yeah, man, we can cut that. So I, I, had, I found out that I had me two, two guys didn't understand what I was talking about. They said, well, yeah, we, we need a B-side. I said, yeah, I got a B-side. So what's the name of your B-side? I said, Mary Jane. He said, oh, yeah, I had a girl did me wrong. Her name was Mary Jane. And I wasn't talking about no girl at all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I dig it. <laughs> talking about Rifa, you know. Yeah, I know. Put <laughs> in, man, did what I wanted to do. So, And the record came to be my first gold record. Yeah. Wow. And gold at that time was humongous. Oh, gold was gold then. Right. Now, if you get uh, two, if you get 5,000 records of gold now. Mm. Because they are downloading so much, you get five thousand records. You sold across the across the counter. You probably sold that many with downloads. So you're very popular, man. So you know, gold record is four or five thousand records now. You know. Wow. Yeah. One time that it had to be at least was it five hundred thousand? Oh, five hundred thousand. You know, then it come down to be less, little less than that when it be a, uh, a platinum and you know, on silver. Right. Oh, if you get uh, you, man, you sell a hundred thousand records now. You got a gold, triple gold. Mm. So, well, you know what? Let me ask you this, because you come from the era of actually touring, because you had to, you had to get out so the people could see you. It, it, what do you feel about that now in the day and age of this digital digital media with with the cameras, the phones, and every and, and YouTube? It's back down to the same thing. Where it used to be, that was 
back in the day when I started, if you didn't tour, you couldn't make a living, or you couldn't get known. It's back down to the same thing now because you can't sell records now. If you don't work, you can't sell records because your workplace is your bandstand. Your bandstand is your record shop. Mm. You follow me? Because I do. You can't sell records. You can only sell records now when you work. That goes from a because of because of the autograph situation. If you don't do that, people are downloading. You get no money from an autograph standpoint or no, nothing. And so, wow. Well, the big concert, you can sell your record at the concert. That's where you save your record. Other than that, uh, they download. And people get in front of records because they can come up to you and you, they don't want autographs to see and take pictures with you. That's where you save your records now. Wow. So it's really good. See, I'm happy you said that. I hope you guys are listening because a lot of people are under the assumption now that because you can do all these things on the computer you don't have to engage with your audience anymore but you're saying that's not the case i'm glad you mentioned that because the young guys coming in they think just because i got a hit record on a popular record on there if you don't engage with you with the people that buy the record are like you then you up then you up barking up the wrong tree because people make you you never get too big of an artist that you're smearing on the people that makes you. Mm. Never bigger than the people that makes you. You know, I don't I don't care how tired I get. I'm always willing to do autograph sessions and do a promotion, go to the radio station, and, and just be present to be uh, in front of people that buys your record and care about you and come to see you and perform. You have you have to have that other kind of too. You don't ever get so big, you can't do that. Absolutely. And that's, this is coming from a, legend, a living legend that's still doing this successfully. I hope you guys understand what's going on here. Now, you and I <clears throat> has never met. This is the first time I actually have an opportunity to talk to you. I'm extremely honored. We share something in common. We both were in a documentary by Joanne Fish called uh, Mr. Handy's Blues, a musical documentary. Yes, yes, and, and I didn't know that until someone told me you're going to call me, that you were in there. I know, I know. Let me say to you before I get too far in this interview, just because you said that like that, let me thank you for what you have done. Thank you for what you've done, what you plan to do, because what you say about me, what people perceive me to be, because uh, people believe in what you say about me and your position. So thank you for saying whatever you say about me, it's good or bad, but I thank you for all the good things first. <laughs> uh, no problem. I mean, it's, 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 it's brothers like you, you know, is the reason why I do this. We did, This platform is, is for the, the preservation and celebration of real blues and those who storm the weather. You know, and you've made a blueprint for cats like us and some of the other brothers and sisters that I know that are musicians now that are either just starting or have been, you know, doing for about five, ten years. You will, you allow us to do this now. So I'm really thanking you. <laughs> well, well, I appreciate you saying that you've been modest, but, but I really thank you because you don't have to do what you do for me. Mm. You don't have to do it for people who in the same position I am. I'm talking about blues guys because blues guys catch it real hard because there's not too many stations around the country plays the blues and recognize it and give, and give blues credit for where it is and who it's coming from. Mm. 
It's because the blues is the root of all music. I'm not talking about that's the only music, but it is the root of all music. And and and, and most of the time, people don't want to uh, give credit that the blues are here to stay. Now, and it's sometimes a disrespect even by uh, young blues people. Young blues guys, black guys, don't want to be associated with the blues. I hear guys talking about, uh, I'm going to record this because I think this is what white people like. Wow. Or like this because I think this is what black people like. What I try to do and tell people, record good music and hope everyone like it. It's not a black and white issue with me. It's about the music. Mm. Mm. You know, I, I have to ask you this because you, 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 you've, you've, been, you've been doing this for over six years. I have to ask you this. Do you think the disconnect right now, at least from the black community with blues, do you think it reminds them of a a period that they don't want to remember? Yeah, I, I, I tell you, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was in a, a blues class a couple of years ago, and a little lady came to me. She was about 18 years old, a black lady. She came to me. She said, I don't want to hear about no blues singing because it reminds me of slavery. I understood where she was coming from. It may remind you of slavery, but 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 slavery is part of history. It's something that happened. I'm not happy about it. I'm glad about it. But you got to understand, history is history, whether it's good or bad. Mm. That's part of history, and that's what makes you be. Uh, that's what you make you be in the front of most people, because if you don't know where it's been, you can't. You certainly don't know where it is now, and if you don't know where it is now, you certainly can't understand where it might might go. I said might go. Right. You know. I dig it. I dig it. So now you mentioned that. Blues doesn't get the properties it deserves. No. You know, and I, I hear a lot of songs played on um, quote-unquote pop commercial stations that actually are 12-ball blues riffs or whatever have you that is pretty much the blues, but they just don't call it that. What Do you think it... Do you think the industry, the music industry, does not think blues is commercially viable or... Oh, yeah. People inside the business understand it. But if you give the blues too much credit in the people that do the blues, you give it, you're giving too much credit to, the, to where the blues come from. So it's, it's never wow. until, until, until the white guys do it. As long as black guys doing the blues, then, then, then you follow me? I do. I do. And did it upset me when, you, when, when it in, invented a, a wow-wow so the white guy could sound like a black guy? But the black guy behind the wall wall trying to sound like a trying to sound like a white guy who's trying to sound black. Wow. Wow. They got it all backwards. They going to buy the they they've invented the wall wall so the white guys could play close to the black guys. But now the black guys behind the wall wall so they can sound like the white guy who's trying to sound black. Unbelievable. You know, and then, you know, I don't, I'm not kicking about. The white guys playing the blues because if they wasn't playing the blues and loving it, I don't know what I would do and a lot of other people. But what I'm trying to say, we shouldn't be shame of ourselves, ashamed of what we do, ashamed of who we are. Absolutely. You know, you don't have to be. You don't have to be best because you can jump and play ball and play music and sing and dance. You don't have to be shame of that. That's a culture. You follow me? No, I do. I absolutely do. Now, I I, I heard. I, correct me if I'm wrong. But you have a neighbor that is actually historic. 
part of our history like yourself and who's been around as long as you have. Um, and he has a very famous brother in African-American history, Medgar Evers. I, I, am I getting close here? Yeah, Charles Evers, man, it lives about eight blocks, eight doors from me. I eat blocks, eight doors from me, Charles Evers. Wow. Now, you, you, I, you guys, I hope you guys are paying attention to this because the importance of Bobby Rush and Charles Evers not only being neighbors, but being mentioned in the same sentence is because Charles Edward Evers had a, a, a race radio station. Am I correct? That's right. That's right. And, and he was playing blues music when no one else was playing it. That's right. Wow. Now, how, what, what is, I need to know what are your conversations like? Because you guys seen it all. <laughs> the changes. You remember when nobody was playing this? You remember when the Chitlin Circuit was the only place that you, you can perform? What is your conversations like when you guys see each other now? Well, we we talked the same thing we talked in, in 1950 when we first met, but 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 we are we disappointed because young people who are trying to uh, move out from their skin colors or, or to some other area, I don't blame the guy for want to get in a better position, but you shouldn't be ashamed of your mama or your sister or yourself or what you do or what you stand for as a as a man. Mm. I mean, regardless of you know. Regardless of your uh, skin color, you shouldn't be ashamed of that because what it is is what it is, and that don't mean you're dumb and out of be because you're black. But don't don't be ashamed of what you do because you do what you do. I'm a blues singer, and I and, and and I'm glad to be who I am and doing what I'm doing because a lot of guys in my position don't want to be a blues singer because it's to be a blues singer a king of the chilling circuit. It saying you something less than something else. Now, who said that? The writers. Who was the writer? Most of the time, 90% of the time, there are white writers are writing about who we are. Mm. I tell you what, I am that I am, and I'm a man, I play the blues. And I'm glad I'm a blues singer. I'm glad of who I am. I just want to get recognized more of what I do. Even if I don't, I'm not stopped doing what I'm doing. I dig it. I dig it. My grandmother always said that if you're ashamed of what you do, you shouldn't be doing it. And don't be afraid of someone stealing something from you because anything ain't worth stealing ain't worth having. Mm. Mm. You know, man, I want, I, because I'll get to this question. I have to ask you this because I know at some time back in the day, they, they said that blues musicians would perform, especially guitarists, with their back towards certain people so they couldn't take their riffs or their style. Is that true? Yeah, that, that's true. And, and, but because the guy was coming up trying to play like him and be like him. Now, but but, but that's, 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 a, that's nothing to tell where I come from in the early 50s because I played in, in Illinois in places where I played behind a curtain where they didn't want to see my face but they wanted to hear my music. Ooh, we got we to we gotta talk about this. Yeah, J. B. Illinois, myself, and Mother Water, we come from that mold. But most of the guys who come from that mold, at the time when they were living, they didn't even talk about it. Wow. It happened to a lot of places where they wanted to hear our music, but they didn't want to see our face. My goodness. 
Do, 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 do audience, do you see why we are possessive and sensitive when it comes to this topic about the blues? So it, it, just to reiterate what you're saying, this audience of, of, of white people, I'm assuming, enjoyed the music, but they didn't want to see you. They just wanted to hear it. Oh, they wanted to hear it because during them time, it's, the, the white guys couldn't play the blues or wasn't playing that much of the blues like we were playing, but they wanted to hear it. Mm. It was it was something like lesser, something less or something else. You, you know, they so so now the, the white guys are playing the blues as good, sometimes better, because the black guys don't want to be known as blues singer because it seemed like to me it's something less than something else. They wow. It, you know, when you when you send your record to uh, a radio station now, the average radio station, oh, we don't play no blues unless, unless it's Ed Clapton. Right. Right. Huh? Yeah, you know, they don't want to hear, uh, they hear from my BB if he was living. But but in between, they hear from me, a buddy guy, maybe. But I was, you got a lot of guys who play the blues and and shame to show their faith because if, if they show their faith as a 25-year-old blues singer, they don't want to hear that if, if they black. They want to hear... They want to hear, not to name some names, the white guy who playing the blues. Right. Oh? Right. So let me ask you this question, because you were there when blues took a turn to uh, rhythm and blues and spirituals took a turn to doo-wop. Do you think the changing of the names came because of this uh, uh, being ashamed yeah, that's part of it. Part of it because the guy learned how to play the blues, and if, if if a white guy play the blues and a black guy play the blues, they play it equally. Guess who they gonna have? Wow! If you equally played equally together, both of them play well. Guess who they gonna have? Guess who get the job? Right. You know, you only get the job unless you stick out and doing something different. You follow what I'm talking about? Yeah. You know, and uh, but 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 here's one thing I can say. And I thank God for this. What I do with the girls dancing on the side of me as a black man, I got one of the purest black shows around the country. But I'm beginning to get, I'm standing in the middle where I got a white crowd and a black crowd, white audience and black audience. But ain't many guys who style that sense like that. Mm. Most guys, I don't want to get the name caller, either got black guys who got an all-white audience and they don't have no black audience. But I have a black audience and a white audience. Wow. That I'd be to have that mixture, a kind of a combination. That's, I mean, that's, that's wonderful. So many, it's not like that anymore. And I, I wanted to get into that as well, because before we get to present day, you, I, you mentioned performing behind the curtain. I only I only knew about the rope in between the the auditoriums where the blacks was on one side and the whites was on the other, so so there's a whole bunch of things that was happening back then to to the, our forefathers and sisters and mothers that we have no clue about. Oh yeah, yeah, because I played a place where they put a mark on the floor and they put a string to the top of the ceiling down to the floor, nailed in the floor on each side of me. But if you in the audience, you can't see it. It's a dark string. It's like a piece of wire, thin piece of wire. But they put a cord, put a tie string on it. So, so if I get stand between it, if I shake my hip, it'll touch the wire, and then I wouldn't get no check. Wow. Why? 
So I, that mean I couldn't shake my hip from side to side. But oh. I could do it. Unbelievable. Wow. I, I just have to t- take my hat off because, you know, you've endured some really, you have to be really strong to keep going. But I, but I see, but now I get to a white audience and they accept me so well for what I do. Absolutely. I have tears in my eyes and thank God for the, for, for what it have, what it was or what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, because I don't know what happened to with it. I'm not talking about everything is just right. But it's so much better than it used to be. I'm so thankful for what it is. You know? I dig that. I definitely dig that. I, I definitely understand that. I definitely understand that. Wow. Wow. You know, matter of fact, on a, on a lighter note, because I can keep talking about this portion of it for the entire rest of the interview, but we, let's, let's lighten it up a bit. Do, do you remember, what's, not remember, what, if you can remember your f- most funniest story with any of these guys that you toured with or performed with? Well, that was some some good times, some bad times. I guess uh, myself and I, the first time I think I worked with Elvis Presley. Wow. Back in the early, early 50s, could have been late 50s. Worked in a place where I couldn't dress in the same dressing room. So they had me dressing back in the outhouse in the back of the room. I couldn't dress in the same dressing room we dressed in. So and the and the the lights was off like they went off back there. I couldn't see how to dress. Wow. Came, I came on the stage with a white shoe and a black shoe on because I couldn't see the color of the shoes that I was putting on in this dark room. So wow. I got on the stage, I looked out, I had a black shoe and a white shoe. And everybody went wild laughing at me. I thought they was I didn't know why they were laughing. They looked at my shoes. They were, they were two-tone. They thought I was so cool. Wow. I played it all because they thought I intentionally dressed like that. You know? They thought I was cool. You <laughs> even know the color because I couldn't see the dressing room because we didn't even have a light in the dressing room. It was dressing in the dark. Jesus. And, uh, and so those were the things. It was funny, uh, and it, but it wasn't so embarrassing because they thought I was so cool. Right. Right, so you just went with it. Yes, they thought I was just a cool dresser. <laughs> I dig it. I think well, you are. We have to get this straight. You are a cool dresser, and everybody knows this. I, I, I can refer back to the uh, the documentary with Morton Scorsese that you were in when you guys went to Memphis, and they were trying. They were making sure they was giving you the flyest shirt for the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that same guy was a guy who sold clothes to every person. That's where he bought his clothes from. Wow. He was buying my clothes from. You know, I respect every person so highly. There's a lot of things I made him go along with uh, was into, but those kind of things were so small compared to what he stood for because he's a guy who loved the blues and loved the black people who did it. And when he did them, he made a lot of money for people and made the song so popular because it was ever present. So I, I just thank God for people like that, uh, Bonnie Ray and people like that, and Clapton. Who tells where the music come from, where they got that from? Right. Well, some guys do it, knowing tell where it comes from. So you think they didn't originate of it, you know? I, I do know, uh, and I have an issue with that. So I, now I'm aware of Bonnie Ray and what she's done for the blues and, and the people in the blues, but I wasn't aware that 
the, the, the black folk that wrote Elvis's songs and things of this nature were getting paid. Well, I don't know. I just don't know about the money issue of it. All I know about that that was some time he got a credit where it's come from. Got you. I didn't know whether he was getting credit financially where it's come from or not. But I know he did mention a lot of time that where these songs come from and who he loved, the artists were doing them. You know, and Bonnie Ray often do that kind of thing, you know. You know? She does. She she definitely does. She definitely does. Now, wh- wh- how do you, what do you, now you, well, you actually said that <laughs> already, but I wanted to discuss it a little bit more. The the climate of blues today, not not just the, the, the black musicians that don't play traditional music, not just the white musicians who play, the traditional music, but the entire industry as a whole. What what do you feel is is strong about it, and what do you think needs a little tweaking so we can reintroduce it to new audiences? I think what we what we need to do is people who own the radio station, who own the airways, and from uh from a television to radio, I get a little more credit to and a little leadway to the DJs who plays the music in order to play some blues music. Because most of the time, the DJs in the radio station, the arena DJs don't play more music because it's controlled by people who own the station and they control what's been played on the stage intentionally so the black music won't get played. Mm. You know, that's a, you know, when they say programming, they program a guy's head, even if he's a black guy, and tell him what to play, what he can't play. Because I had a black guy in Alabama told me that he would play my record, but my record sound too black. My goodness. Can you imagine? Well, you can. I, I just, I'm just so baffled. I will play your record, but your record sound too black. <laughs> His parents, who he worked for, have told him Here's the kind of record you got to play because they don't sound as black as this. Because when you sound as black as I sound, there's no if and a but about who I am. You better believe it. <laughs> I, I, I hear the church. I hear I hear everything in your music. And this is the problem. This is the problem. I guess the biggest problem that I'm having with this and I'm and, and battling on the inside. You, you know, you, you can't. Not you, but these people cannot use the term blues without having any sort of black culture involved because that's where it comes from. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that because I just thank God for all the guys playing my record, black and white. Absolutely. You can't hardly talk about a black entertainer, musician, don't mention myself, or B.B. King, a few people like that. I'm speaking about myself not because I'm here on top of the ground who, who's still doing what I do as long as I'm doing it. I, I'm present to do what I do, right? And then you got to recognize that. You, 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 and I and I play for the black people, and I play for the white. I play for all across the board. That's not true with everyone. I don't want to get into name calling. If you if you run down the black people in my category, most of the black people don't play nothing but white clubs. Mm. To a white audience, I play for all audience. You sure do. And I plan to continue to do that. So, well, let me ask you. Because being the king of the Chitlin circuit, and I know for a fact that you have a, 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 
a huge diverse audience of both black and white and everything in between. So is that what the ch- chilling circuit is now? Is it more diverse? Yeah, it, it's, it, but the chilling circuit considered more as a black audience. Absolutely. It was, it was 99 and a half percent black audience, but now it's kind of mixed now. You follow me? Yes. Also because the radio and TV is kind of putting it into another kind of category now. But, but most of the time in the black clubs or black places where black people go, most of the time the whites don't want to go there because the area is the kind of area they don't want to be seen in. I don't want to be attached uh, to. Right. You know, so that means that, that's what you call chitlin' circuit. But, uh, you know, but it's, it's my life and it's, it's um, who I am, and I will never uh, get to the place where I disrespect uh I won't embrace the chilling second because that's part of me. Absolutely. And, and I mean, like you said earlier, you, you, you can't turn your back on the people who support you. Not not the bridge that brought you across. Mm. Mm. You, 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 just can't do, you, just, you just can't do it, you know. I know that uh, you must, uh, you must, if you want to go forward and want to be big, among the white, sometimes you have to do certain things. But I'm thanking God that I haven't had to change too much of what I do because what you see me do in the black club, I'll do the same thing in the white club. And don't get me wrong, that's some that sometime I've been told that the girls with me was, uh, was a situation where it was a borderline, mm. not a borderline. Because I remember back in the early 50s when I used to go to Broadway shows, to a black cast, but it'd be 99% white people there looking at the black cast. Wow. If it's from Broadway shows. Wow. So it tell me they want to see this, but they don't want to see it where it connect with, uh, with their, in their own neighborhood. Right, right, right. You, they, don't want, you, they don't want you to bring that to their neighborhood. They want to come to your neighborhood and watch it. Mm. So when they, when they leave, they take everything but the neighborhood with them. I dig it. I dig. You know, I, I I need you to speak about somebody real quick, if you don't mind, because I, I'm I'm just so uh, uh, I'm still in shock, and and I'm in, I'm enjoying this, and I hope you guys are really taking notes because you're getting firsthand information on what the real blues is about. But I I would like you to speak about somebody because if I'm not mistaken, you knew this person, you played music with this person, and you came up with this person. And I don't think he 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 got a honorable um, perception of who he actually is. I think he's like himself a musical genius. Could you talk to us a little bit about Ike Turner? Oh yeah, Ike Turner was one of the is a genius. He was one of the best musician, best producer in the world. Mm. But his personal life. And it had nothing to do with me, but it's personally, because I wasn't tied up with him that way. And personally, I don't know about him and Tina Turner and what went down with that. But as a musician, as a producer, as a songwriter, as a as a band leader, he was one of the best. And, uh, of course, I guess he tried to walk two sides of the fence, uh, his side and the right side. And sometimes his side wasn't the rightest side that you could mention. So I heard. I don't personally know that. I just heard through the grapevine. Right. 
happen to know him well enough to know that was some things that he stood for that I didn't stand for. Okay. Uh, now, I wasn't talking about the abusive thing. It's just that he wanted to be so dogmatic about the things that, that he'd done because everything he did, he thought it was right. Got you. And, and everything he did was good, but everything wasn't right, just right. Understood. It, it, so he thought if he'd said it and did it, that's the way it should have been. And any man don't have an open mind to listen to other people and the people around you. I think that's you're doomed to die. Understood. Understood. I, you just gave me a life lesson, and I, I don't even know if you realize that. Understood. Wow. Now, could we, we're coming close to a close, but could you tell people where to find your album, how they could purchase it? Oh, I'm I'm I'm, I'm distributed by uh, Rounds of the Record, and which 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 is Sony uh, company. So if you find uh, uh, the biggest artist you want to find. If you find them, including uh, Michael Jackson, you'll find a Bobby Rush record. <laughs> Mind you, if you Google Bobby Rush, uh, Bobby Rush dot net, or you can find Bobby Rush record. Just Google Bobby Rush, the blues man, and you'll find what it gets me at. That's right. Now you're in the studio right now. You're working on some new music. So, so where can I find Porcupine Meat? Google Porcupine Meat by Bobby Rush. It's everything to show up. Mm. You heard that porcupine meat. You know, back way back 40, 50 years ago, I couldn't say that. I had to give a, a phone number a bit. But now I'm big enough you can Google my name and find out who handled me and, and the record company the whole bit. Mm. <laughs> I dig that. Are, are you on Twitter? And you have a website, too. It's BobbyRush.com? Bobbyrush.com. Bobbyrush.com. Mm. Okay. Now, where are you headed next for performance? Are you touring? I'm I'm touring. I just come out of Detroit last week, and I'm going to Kalamazoo, Michigan, uh, this weekend, in Louisville, Kentucky. Then I'm going into uh, Milwaukee, Dayton, Ohio, the following week. And after that, I'm going back in the studio to do some other stuff. On the first first ten days in December, I'm doing some gospel stuff in the studio for another uh, program and a person that I'm helping them out with some gospel stuff. Not not for me. I'm doing it for someone else. But it's about me and what I believe in, what I stand for. I dig that. Or do, can we expect a gospel album from you anytime soon? I'm I'm not going to do the gospel album, but I am going to do a history on Bobby Rush from 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 the trail way back to Africa to up to now. Not that I'm from Africa, but I'm tied into that to about my music and about people's as like my far granddaddy and father and on and on and on and tie me on up into who I am now and where I come from and my uh, my line of people that I come from, my relatives, what they did and you and you find a hundred years later you find Bobby Rush. Mm. I can dig it. I can dig it. Listen, it was beyond an honor talking to you, sir. You know, I'm in the studio at this moment and I'm I could talk to you forever, but I'm sorry I can't talk to you forever, but it's been a nice talking to you. Let me say before we get through, let me thank you for what you have done. Thank you for what you're doing and what you plan to do, because people like you uh, give people a chance to hear about me. And what people perceive me to be is what you say about me. So hopefully that you say some good things that, that will be beneficial to me and yourself uh, for in the future. 
Absolutely. No questions about that. <laughs> and you're very welcome. You're very welcome. And you, you got to let me know when you come to New York, please, sir. Oh, I will do. And please feel free, free to call me anytime, anywhere. And I'd be glad to talk to you about some things that we made us didn't talk about today that you made a, uh, forgot to ask me about. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're definitely going to do that. Okay, man. All right. Thank you so much, sir. I'm sorry I have to run and get back to the to the studio. I'm in the studio at this moment. All right, no, go ahead, please, please. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Did you guys hear that? That was live. That's not pre-recorded. You just took part in history on Jack Dapper Blues, right here, WFDU HD two. We spoke to a living legend. We got life principles. We got blues history and heritage. And we heard from the man himself his story. And there's so much more to touch on. We're going to get him back on here. Hopefully we could do one live. But you know what? I was going to wait until the next hour. We're going to close this segment with Bobby Rush and Keb Moe, Nighttime Gardener. I want y'all to hear this right now. I even get down on my knees. 